Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is up, Bear Down Nation? This is the Believe in Bears podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Lee. And I am Joy Christopoulos, and today's episode is presented by BetOnline.ag. Did someone say playoffs? Because I just did. The NBA, the NHL, it's in full swing right now, and MLB is in the second half. So BetOnline has got you covered, and let me just tell you something right now. If you perhaps went to BetOnline.ag and got you Darvish winning the Cy Young at plus 800, you're looking pretty good right now. And let me tell you, those other sites, they didn't have that number. And so take full advantage of sports being back and get in on the action with hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. And then there's always that online casino on the site. It never closes. So head to BetOnline.ag and sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, BetOnline.ag and sign up today. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Cameron, what are we going to talk about today on the pod? You know, we finally got the much-anticipated uh, release of episode two of 1920 Football Drive. So I'm excited to get uh, to get to talking to you a little bit about that episode. And I got—I just want to know first off, Joey, what was your major takeaway coming out of the episode? What did you think about everything that they were showing? They kind of took a different approach to this episode. It was pretty long. What did you think about all that? A little bit longer. And let me also say, to your point. Didn't know that this was going to be Avatar 2, that we were going to have to wait multiple days for this to come out. We went from, we thought it was going to be Monday to Monday, had to wait a little bit. We were waiting with bated breath. And from a fan's perspective, I thought this episode was super cool. This is the part of Hard Knocks that I love the most. Guys on the field, you know, the, the coaches chattering in between plays, what coaching actually sounds like when you're in that moment. And we got a chance to get learn a little bit more about some of our favorite Chicago Bears, like Eddie Jackson. I mean, Personality Plus, super funny. We got to go in the D-line room with Akeem Hicks. We saw a little bit of the quarterback action, just a little bit, just enough to probably uh, satiate us. And then we got to hear Matt Nagy and just his swagger and personality during practice. All in all, you know, give me more of this. I like it a lot. I wish I could actually watch some plays, but I understand that you're not going to probably get that, Bears fans. Cameron, it was a fun episode. What did you think? I was really curious. I wanted to hear what you guys thought about it because – you know, I'm watching this, and it's, I I know that it is just camp, but that's what I saw it as. You know, being a former player, I was watching it, and I'm like, oh, this just seems like they're just going through camp, and they're really they're showing it. And I was just curious. I didn't know if that was interesting to you or not as a fan, watching guys just sit in the film room and watching coaches break down super monotonous details and you know, go – you know, getting really into the minutia of all the stuff that, you know, we used to do on a day-to-day basis as a football player. I didn't know if fans would find that interesting. And that's what I wanted to ask you about because, I mean, to me, it seemed uh, almost boring, but I get it if that's really interesting to the fans. Well, let's start with the D-line room first. And this was the stuff that I found really interesting. And so obviously when you're at practice, you're not going full speed. You're not tackling the important guys on the team, but you still have to hit your spots. You know, as an actor, I'm super into that. It's almost like watching a rehearsal of blocking of, you know, you're in the right spot. You know, we're not actually physically watching them finish the play. And I love the coach speak that was going on about just keep grinding, grinding, grinding through the play. You know, even in the quarterback room, I heard words like steering defenders, you know, dialing in, drilling in on accuracy. These are all music to Bears fans ears because that's the stuff that we've been complaining about. So I love to just, watch these coaches kind of dig in a little bit. I'm not so, I'm not a big guy where when I watch hard knocks, I don't want to see a coach rip another guy apart. That's really not my favorite. I guess it is like, it's, it's got the razzle dazzle to it, 
But I much prefer, you know, Hakeem Hicks right there. They just show the play, and you know that the play is snuffed. And then they walk him through why that's amazing. And then on the next play, they kind of describe, you know, the angle that he needs to take maybe a little bit wider. And that thing turns into a pick six for Hakeem Hicks. And they get a little laugh. And I thought the exchange was, was really great. And obviously, distance six feet apart, doing everything that they need to do necessary. And, I, you know, I, I thought it was really cool. What was it like for you, you know, sitting in the room during those sessions? Yeah, it's really cool watching them and be very candid and getting that full-on experience of what it's like to be in a film room, to be in an NFL film room and have, you know, an NFL quality coach breaking down, you know, the film of some of the best players in the world. That's that's super cool. My experience was a little bit different because obviously I'm not in the same position as Akeem, not just obviously being on the opposite side of the ball, but literally in our careers, we were in very different positions. You know, when you watch a guy like Akeem, it's a lot of teach tape, if you will, doing a little bit more coach speak. You know, this is a guy who's a veteran, who's had a ton of success, who's a great leader, and everyone can look at and say, oh, what's Akeem doing here? What can we learn from him? What can we take away? For me, it was more I was sitting there, you know, scared to death. What's coach going to say? You know, if, it, if it's good, I hope he notices it. If it's bad, you know, please don't rip me in front of the whole room. And they do. They do do that. Like you mentioned on Hard Knocks, you know, some coaches are a bit nicer about it than others. I won't mention any names, but yeah, that it's a very different experience. And it's different for, you know, we kind of talk about this every single time. It's different player to player. So I think it was really cool that they got to show you Akeem making a great play and having a big day and, and, you know, sort of his role. But I'm certain that there was film of, you know, say a younger guy, maybe like a Lee Autry or some other rookie in the room that, uh, that maybe made a mistake, not saying that he did, but I just know what it's like being the rookie in the room and, uh, and, and maybe some choice words were said, but they don't always choose to show that on, you know, the bears production team. There's an ascension and it goes player by player. You have to coach each player differently, not just based on their personalities and emotions, but the type of skills that they have and the way that they've proved themselves on the field. So what you're talking about maybe with Akeem Hicks is a situation where a younger player, the type of coach speak or when they're breaking down film, it's going to be more of corrective. And it's going to be more of this is why this doesn't work. And this is why you need to maybe listen to my coaching and be in this spot where with Akeem Hicks, even if he goes to the wrong spot, it's a little bit more about just pointing it out, just sort of letting him know that this is also what I'm seeing, having a dialogue and trusting that Akeem Hicks is always going to be in the right spot, but continuously having that communication about where, you know, how we want to play it and how he's thinking about it and sort of closing that gap in, instead of maybe a hardcore correction. of Sure. And there was uh, one of the plays that they showed of Akeem and he made a, a TFL on the play, but they said, you got, if you step flat here, because basically what they're saying is he's, taking he's basically going he's freelancing in that instance you know he's basically stepping back and flat uh almost away from what everyone else is assigned to do it's basically him saying i see this happening but if you do that you absolutely must make the play i don't know that all the players in that room have the freedom to to get to do that and not get you know destroyed by coach rogers so when he does that and he makes that play, sure, he looks really good. And and Rogers said that on the play. He said, oh, you step flat. You got to make that TFL. You have to make that TFL. A younger guy in that situation, you step flat like that. Very possible that you're getting you know yelled at for being undisciplined or making a, making a, an error in, in that situation. So it, like we say, it's just different player to player. But getting to see, to see it as a fan and sit back and kind of watch the interactions and see how all that plays out, it's really cool. And, and especially like a big personality like Akeem, he just kind of, he takes up all the air in the room and he, all, all eyes, ears, they're all on him. 
And so let me just get this crystal clear as a fan. You know, they were talking about it, and I'm trying to follow it along as best I can. When you talk about flattening, is that a situation where can it have multiple meanings? Where is that a move of aggression where I'm going to try and beat my guy to get to the quarterback? Is that also built in the scheme sometimes too? So second level linebackers can also fill in a gap. And in terms of flattening, is that something that the Bears scheme likes to do? Or is that maybe not necessarily something that they per- would prefer? Oh, I mean, it's, it's case by case. You know, it's just a situational call. Sometimes, you know, he's supposed to flatten out and sometimes he's not. It's all just kind of depends on on what the situation is. The way I interpreted what Coach Rogers was saying in that situation was that that wasn't necessarily the call. It wasn't a schematic thing. This was just Akeem saying, you know, I'm a veteran. I know what's happening. I can see how this is going to play out. And he basically took a chance but happened to be right. And so, you know, he's, he finds himself right in the hole uh, as the offensive line. Basically what you saw is I believe it was the right guard. It was probably – I think it was Jermaine Effetti was, you know, taking a step, uh, you know, trying to make it like a reach block going right. And Akeem lined up across from him and basically stepped to his right, so almost behind the, pl- behind the block. You know, whereas normally you want to see him take that block on and shed the block and then make a tackle – now he's basically said, I think I get this and I will be fast enough to cover the space that I give up when I step down flat inside. So he basically stepped almost away from what you would assume his, his responsibility to be, but covered the ground and made the space because obviously he's a freak of nature. That's great stuff, Cameron. And it's just awesome to see Akeem Hicks back, you know, doing what he does on that defensive line. We've talked about it ad nauseum. We'll continue to talk about it. You know, he is so key to everything that that Bears defense does. They did mention Eddie Goldman a little bit, and I think the casual Bears fan knows that Eddie Goldman is an important piece, a really great player, and they were talking about what it's like to replace him, and I kind of want to ask you, you know, what kind of a percentage drop-off? I mean, is it staggering between Bilal Nichols, Roy Robertson-Harris, that sort of rotation to an Eddie Goldman? Is he a guy that really is so integral that it's going to take a group of people to fill those shoes? Or do you think that there's talent already on that defensive line to, you know, at least give you maybe 85, 90% of what Eddie Goldman brings to the table? Yeah. Eddie's a great player and having, you know, it's not, it's not always just about like the major upside of a player. Eddie Goldman is certainly underrated, especially because where he sits in comparison to some of the guys that are already on this bears front defensively. So Eddie, Eddie does not get the credit that he deserves. He's an excellent player, and on a different defense, he probably would stand out more. That being said, I don't think there's going to be a humongous drop-off. I don't know how they fill it necessarily. I don't if, – if Bilal comes in or Jank or, or Roy Robertson or whoever it is comes in and plays necessarily the same percentage of the snaps with the same consistency, uh, that, that remains to be seen. I'll be interested to see how they go about playing it, though, because Nichols is really the the one that has the closest build to sort of what you expect from Eddie. But they've talked about, you know, seeing seeing Roy come down and, and play some nose or seeing – they've even talked about seeing Brent Urban play some nose. So just all these kind of different body types. I think it's really interesting in that regard. You know, they could go about this one way, just basically having like a next man up mentality and just basically – okay, we lost one man who's the most similar and they could put, play like a ball on Nichols or a, or a John Jenkins in there and basically have close to the same thing. Or you might see a little bit of a rotation. You might see some different body types with some different skill sets in there. You know, some guys play a little bit quicker, but are maybe a little bit different to move. So it's just, it's just interesting. They kind of have some options. They may not have that, you know, that standard established nose that they've had for these last four or five years in Eddie Goldman, but they might also have a couple of different 
tools uh, at their disposal to play with. And it could, it could, you know, create some different stuff and some interesting situations for offensive lines to have to go up and block. And it just creates different matchups and they can mix that up. Right. Where, if you got Bilal Nichols on the field, maybe those are situations where maybe you're going to bring in screen or a guy like Roquan in on a blitz. And maybe when you got Roy Robertson Harris there, you feel like that you've got enough there to perhaps get to the quarterback in that situation. So I think that there's going to be a lot of different areas where they're going to be able to bring some heat. I know the bears don't like to do it super often, or they don't like to be put in the position to bring heat all the time, especially from their second level guys. They would prefer if all the guys up front are getting to the quarterback, but you're right. The way that they can mix and match can create different looks you know, I think Bilal Nichols and Roy Robertson-Harris are great players, and Jenkins, too, as well. I think we'll see what he's got. And I think maybe the combination of them in short bursts can get the job done. Yeah, and I think it's really important to point out that no two players are the same to block. And that I think that's something that we don't take a lot into consideration. You know, as an offensive lineman, if you get in the habit of blocking the exact same nose or the same defensive end over and over again, you kind of start to figure a guy out. You can kind of find, uh, you know, figure out his moves, his timing, his rhythm. You know, when is he fatigued? When does he get off the ball quick? And all these things. If the Bears can kind of have a solid rotation of guys with different fits and builds that play, you know, they can consistently hold their own in that position. I think, you know, the other pieces are there and the other pieces are established. You know, you, we, we talk about the other guys all the time, but if they can just have, you know, a nice rotation of guys that can fill that spot and kind of give them, you know, just a, just a nice mix. I really think that they'll be okay without Eddie there. Although Eddie's such a, a is a great nose. How long do you think, would you say roughly it took you as an offensive lineman, you know, maybe, maybe at the college level and maybe the NFL level, how many plays would you say it probably took you to maybe, let's just say, quote unquote, get a feel for a guy that you're going up against? And conversely, was there also a down and distance sometimes that kind of gave you a clue into what someone your opponent likes to do? So I don't think, I, I think the, that it, you can figure out a, a defensive lineman. You can't figure out his entire, you know, what all he's got in his bag after one series maybe, but a nice long drive. Uh, I think that's normally, you know, if you see eight, nine, ten plays, that's normally a good feel as long as you're getting a little bit of, of all the different situations. You know, if you come out and get a first down on every single play, obviously the offense is doing something great. So maybe you didn't get to see everything that a guy had up his sleeves. But if you could see him on first down and second down, third and long, and get a different feel for all of his different moves and different scenarios, I think that's normally – as long as you're getting eight, nine, ten plays on a guy, that's really enough to kind of get an idea of what it is that you're going against. As far as a particular down, the way that a guy plays a run versus the way that a guy plays a known pass play can be entirely different. So I think you just got to see a little bit of all of it. So, you know, that first and ten, if you're playing on that on that team that, you know, wants to come out and run the ball and the defense knows that you like to come out and run the ball, the way that you're blocking – that guy's very different than that third down situation. So, uh, you know, being prepared for a guy that's prepared to stop the run versus a guy that's prepared to to try and get to the quarterback, just different situations. So, you know, I, I always say that you don't really know a guy until you've seen his pass rush, until you've seen him, you know, when he's geared up for, to to get to the quarterback. So, I mean, obviously the, the third down, third and long, knowing a known pass situation, I think you're going to, that's when you're, you're going to see a lot of defensive linemen at their best because they know the situation. This is their chance to get off their field. This is the chance to make a big play for their team. So I, that's when a lot of guys start to show out. First and second down, you'll see guys kind of make the plays, put third down is when you'll see D linemen really try and show out. I want to ride this horse for one more question because I really like where this is going. 
when you were a player, when you were playing, were you a, a guy that liked to look at the way a guy set up pre-snap or were you more of a guy that sort of set up and then once the ball's hiked, you kind of learn and feel a guy out from there. And if you were a pre-snap guy where you just sort of looked for little clues to all the defensive linemen out there, what's the easiest giveaway? Is it with the hands or with the feet? Yeah. You'll hear like in all the, like, you'll hear people talk about this in movies, like just look at their hands. You can tell if their weight's coming forward. Not, I mean, I, I, I think that, defensive linemen are a little bit more sophisticated than that nowadays i try to get a read on a guy's feet uh, and try to notice the the distribution of their weight and try and notice uh if i can get a feel for what foot is loaded up what foot is like kind of carrying their weight and how they're going to be able to step so if you kind of notice like say if, if a guy's got all the weight on his right foot he's obviously going to have to be stepping with his left so kind of noticing little things like that i i was never the guy that was you know, I'd watched so much film and I could be like, oh, this guy, you know, is going to do this on this play. That wasn't necessarily me. Uh, I always had a feel for the way a guy was playing me as it was happening. So not that I was a late reactor, but that was just kind of, you know, you kind of have that on-field presence. Some guys are just gamers, if that makes sense. And you get out there and you kind of get a feel for how the guy's lining up across from you. And you kind of see the way he's moving or, or the way he's a sense about some guys and you kind of get a feel for all that. So I was always the type of guy that was, you know, I'd notice little things. What's his demeanor like? How are his feet positioned? Does he seem to have a lean this way or that way? Um, so those were kind of things that I would look for as an offensive lineman. Yeah. Awful comparison, but I'm going to do it anyways. The only way that I can relate to what you're saying right now is just, you know, playing catcher through high school, honestly, because there's a lot of different things, especially in high school too, when the hormones are raging and everyone's like emotional and emo as hell. But there were some guys that would be gripping the bat a little tight that took those super hard cuts, like before they even got in the batter's box, maybe kick the dirt like a little bit too hard. And you're like, all right, buddy, off speed, coming your way. Or the guys that are kind of harder to read where you maybe have to look at their swing or their stance. If they got a wide stance and a high leg kick, you know, you can still throw curveballs against them. You can go high heat on them. So I was always sort of like looking for little things like who was flush in the face. You know, if the dude had acne, I was like, this guy's probably stronger than I think. So I, I just was really, I was just really curious because you get to a certain level too, where everyone, as you just said, is sophisticated enough to not give away like those little tells, like this isn't, you know, riverboat casino time with a bunch of amateurs, like once you get in there, but that, that was always like the first thing, the first thing you'd hear is like, if the pressure, if he's got like the, the blood in his fingers, he's yeah. definitely think he's anticipating the run. I'm like, really? Like it's that simple, huh? Yeah, at, at this level, man, I, I I like to think the guys can can you know hide their tells a little bit better than that. Let's talk cryo chamber. Uh, this episode of cryo chamber is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Um, as a fan, just super cool when they went to Bears Fit, the recovery center in Vernon Hills, where they went in an off day, and a lot of these guys went in, and a lot of them were the dudes that you're talking about, Lee Autry, some of the twos, some of the threes. I gotta get their body right. Because they're going to go to full padded practice and they got to show their stuff. And they eventually went, you know, they went live uh, towards the end of episode two. Do you ever hop in a cryo chamber? Just curious. And if you did, just tell me everything. <laughs> so I've done the cryo chamber. It was actually a requirement in New Orleans. I don't know if the team had just dropped the bag on a couple of new cryo chambers, but they were like, we are getting our money out of this. Everyone get in the chamber. So you had to schedule a specific time during camp and everyone would get in there. The cryo chamber is nice. I don't think it's nearly as bad as a lot of people sort of anticipate it being. It's 
it's cold. I mean, they, they say it's. I'm gonna sound stupid. Like I'm gonna have my numbers wrong, but I want to say they say it's like negative, it's like 200 or something degrees. We're gonna have to Google it. I'm gonna sound stupid. I, I want to say that they say it's like negative 200 degrees, but you're only in it for like 30 seconds. It's really not that bad. So I mean, you get in there. They make you wear gloves. They make you wear like you gotta wear footies. But let me tell you, I've been so I've only done that a couple of times because I wasn't in New Orleans very long, so I didn't always have access to the cryo chamber. Personally, though, being a walk-on, being from a small school, I was always a cold tub guy, and I've hopped in many a hog trough filled with ice and gross offensive lineman sweat. And let me tell you, a cold tub. Now, a cold tub, you have to be in it much longer, and that probably has something to do with the effectiveness. But I'm a cold tub guy. And, you know, every single day after practice in college, you could catch us, uh, catch us big guys in the cold tub, no matter whether it was August or November or whatever month, you'd be catching the offensive line in the cold tub for a minimum of 15 minutes, just freezing your giblets off. But you could always tell, you could always tell how committed a guy was by uh, whether or not he was in the cold tub and how long he was willing to stick it out. But very, very effective method. Never in a thousand years will I do that. I just you have to. I, I can't wrap my head around it. My one question, and you don't have to break any news here on Believe in Bears, but you know, have you ever seen Virginia McCaskey just coming out of the cryo chamber? Is that what makes her so? Is that what gives her her vigor and her beauty still? Is that the secret? That's that's it. You've uh, you've did break some news here. Virginia McCaskey has maintained her longevity by using the cryo chamber. <laughs> You walk by and it's just her head, you know what I mean? Because they put him in the thing. It's like, hi, Virginia. Hey, how are you? She pops on out, does a handspring, ready to roll. They were talking right after they got out of the cryo that they were already starting to feel loose. I mean, are those the? Are, is it an immediate effect? I mean, does that really get you there that quickly? I, to be honest, I don't know that that's really how that works. I think some people, I think a lot of that stuff, and this is going to sound like I'm one of these like old school guys. I think a lot of these recovery tools are as much about, you know, what you want to feel and how you want to, you know, it's, it's a lot of, it's a, it's a mental game. And, and that's not to say that they don't have their merit and they don't have their effects. Like I said, I love getting in a cold tub, but it never made me feel like, Oh, I'm ready to go now. You know, it's just really a matter of recovery more. So I don't know when a rookie hops out of a cryo chamber and says, I feel good. I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm like, well, pump the brakes, bud. Talk to me in week 10, buddy. Yeah, right. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, tell me how, tell me how you're feeling then. <laughs> And a lot of other fun parts about this episode, I know you love the smoothie section. Absolutely legit. We got a POD sighting. We got a Pat O'Donnell sighting. Here comes the boom, ready or not. Here comes the leg from the south getting his smoothie with his flaxseed. You know, you had to have been impressed. I'm, I'm guessing that that's been improved upon and altered and modernized since you were there in 2017. Yeah, right. First of all, I got to say shout out to Jen Gibson. She was taking care of me back then in 2017. And obviously she's doing wonderful things for the team still to this day. But she she's a wonderful person and uh, she's a big part of what the Bears do. But but back to the smoothies themselves. No, we did not have a setup like that at all, man. We were, you know, we were working out of just like the old the old fashioned diner. We may as well have been at a steak and shake, you know, just just pop a seat and, and like, hey, I, I want peanut butter in this one. And the order, the ordering system, the things that you can put in your smoothies, that's the part I miss, man. I I miss a nice post-workout uh, smoothie, a recovery shake. 
you get some of that flaxseed, got to have your greens, lots of peanut butter. I had one of these tonight, but it's just not the same as when someone, a professional, a smoothologist, if you will, is making them for you, you know, and all the ingredients. And it's so cool. I don't know if, if you, how, how, you know, familiar with the smoothie process you are, but if you go in there, they've got, they've got shakes for each and every like sort of diet. They've got shakes for, you know, different allergies. If you're trying to, to gain, if you're trying to lose, they've got like different menus. It's like, Oh, this is the peanut butter parfait smoothie, or this is the, you know, they've got, they've got everything. And so you could go in there, you basically pick off of a menu and you could say, I want it before practice. I want it after practice. I want a pre-workout post-workout and you'd get off the field. And there's just a, a wonderful handcrafted shake made by professionals sitting in your locker. And if you've been through three hours on the field, getting your ass kicked and you're sweating and you're tired and you're thinking, man, how do I do this? And then you get in there and there's, oh my gosh, there's my shake. I'm going to go hop in the cold tub. You know, I get it. I'm going to come back tomorrow. This is worth it. This is worth it for me. I think it's incredible. It's some of my favorite stuff of the episode is just watching, you know, you hear about how maintenance and sports science and taking care of yourself have evolved over time, but we really get a chance to really get our, our nose right up to the glass of exactly what's going on. Man, I just feel for those guys in the 80s, dude. Like, I just think about those dudes in the 80s and 90s because you think about what the buffet was like in the post game, and, like, someone's just, like, oh, you're talking about, like, four different, eight different kinds of peanut butter. Back then they were just like, well, we had Cheerios, and now we have Honey Nut Cheerios. It's great. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. I just got to feel that over the last 30 years, it has probably come leaps and bounds. Can you imagine, like, trying to explain to, like, the ghost of – Trying Red to explain, Grange. like, yeah, like to explain to Red Grange what a cryo, cryotherapy chamber is, like what, what he would he wouldn't have anything to say. He'd be like, "You're lying." What would he do? Eat like a 13 ounce ribeye, maybe For pound sure. a couple scotches and just go to smoke sleep. a cigarette at halftime. Yeah, exactly. So you're telling me that they freeze me and then I eat a bunch of seeds, like flax seeds. Yeah, yeah, flax seeds, right? Flax seeds. Yeah, exactly. Really enjoyed the Eddie Jackson. Super fun. You get to see that, just that personality, that energy on the field. You get to see him interact with the Gatorade scooter. I love the Gatorade scooter. Got me, got to get me one of those. And honestly, we could put anything on it. I do like beer. Beer would be good. But I don't know, like cheeseburger sliders, some sort of like ready-to-made tacos to go on, the, on this Gatorade scooter. It could go in a lot of different directions. I, I think I need one of those. I think it might be my next big man investment, getting myself a scooter that can fit food or drink on that I can wheel around. Did it have 16 different, did it have 16 slots for the, for the Gatorade? I think I counted. I, I hit pause. I'm like, I think there's 16 different Gatorades on there. Very impressive. I think that's a, uh, that must be like a COVID precaution. If everyone, maybe everyone has their own bottle or something. Never had that device back in my day we were always uh shooting we were drinking from the from the hose gun so oh, everyone oh yeah so everyone had like not like an old-fashioned hose like they everyone has like a like a trigger from sharing the hose so they probably each trainer probably has like one fourth or one eighth of the team on their you know on their gatorade cart and you got to find your assigned your gatorade cubby if you will like you're going to preschool yeah, they're all the same color. I don't know how he does it, but I'm sure he has a system. There's a ring. There's a ring around the cap, and it's got their names on them. There you go. And that's why they pay me the big bucks at Believe in Bears to give you the inside scoop on Gatorade. The Gatorade. In cryo rings. chambers. 
And also the time John Fox unscrewed the fire hydrant and finally gave you water at practice. <laughs> Breaking. John Fox, John Fox was very uh, 1983. I heard he's a good time at a restaurant, and as a fan, I didn't enjoy him as a coach. I do feel like he actually brought back a sense of sanity. I got nothing but nice things to say about John Fox. He gave me a job and only yelled at me a couple times. We had some, some, some good times with Coach Fox. Uh, the memories. The memories. I think it's time. Let's talk quarterback a little bit. And before we get to the big news, let's just talk about some of the quarterback in the episode. Now, as previous episodes, if you've been listening, and thank you if you have, I've been looking at subtle clues, body language throughout these training camp episodes to see who perhaps has the edge in the quarterback competition right now. And let me just say, in terms of that, just in regards to that, Mitch Trubisky was told that he got, he made a hell of a nice throw. Did a really good job and then won the belt in the uh, in the DBs versus wide receivers competition. I call that 3-0 Trubisky, Cameron. I think you I think you read that situation right. There was a lot there did seem to be a lot more Mitch than Nick. Am I right? Here's my take on that. And I think it's I think it's all a post-production thing. Let's just say Nick Foles is playing out of his mind and actually will become the eventual week one starter. I still think the Bears, what is good for the Bears is to continue to show their number two overall pick who has been their starter for the last two and a half seasons in the most positive, encouraging light as possible. So obviously they're not going to show him throw a pick during the episode, but they are going to just throw in a couple of great throw, nice job, because let's be honest, the, the fate of the Bears has, and the hope has been tied to Mitch Trubisky's right arm for the last couple of years. And now we're coming to that crossroads point where – we don't know if he's going to be on the team after this season. So I did find it very interesting that instead of why pump up Nick Foles, he doesn't need to be pumped up. You got to pump up Trubisky. It's an easy post-production move PR standpoint from my point of view. I think you're reading that right. My question is how much do you think that the, the bears like the on field people might have a say in how they go about, you know, obviously the, the post-production stuff, you know what I mean? Like, are they, do you think they're trying to, coddle Mitch or or slant any of the narrative at all or is that all just a post-production stuff really the post-production that's really more your realm Joey so tell me as a man of the theater are they getting any sort of direction from the on-field staff or are they basically saying you know go make what you will of uh, of this product I think they came into it I think whatever the production company that's working with them I think it was already sort of part of baked into the deal of look we're not going to slander Mitch and like, let's be honest, there isn't a lot of buzz behind Nick Foles. We're not getting a lot of clicks. If Nick Foles is leading the charge, he's not exactly the biggest big time acquisition that the Bears have ever had. That being said, in Trubisky's case, of course you want to keep pushing that forward. And it seems like just from my vantage point that, and this isn't something that's wrong, but Trubisky is a guy that seems like he needs positive reinforcement. He's said on record that the more reps that he gets, the more comfortable that he gets. And I think that everything needs to sort of trend in a positive direction for him, for him to personally feel like that he's being successful. So if that means that you can call it kid gloves, but if that means from a coaching staff perspective, being a little bit nicer to the guy, maybe being a little bit more vocal when he does the things that he's supposed to do, and maybe being a little bit more instructive and in teaching when he does the wrong thing. It's, it's sort of tough to say, but that is my vibe, is that they definitely want him to be successful, so they are very, very nice to him. Are you, suggesting that, they, are you suggesting that they're of the impression that they need to coddle Mitchell Trubisky, the <laughs> number two overall word. pick, I did not and the starting, <laughs> the starting quarterback of the Chicago Bears needs coddling? 
That is what I'm suggesting because that you is are what not, I am seeing. You are not instilling any confidence in any of the Bears fans. No. Chicago is a tough city, man. It is a tough city to play in when you are losing or when you are you know, doing the wrong, the wrong things. If that's the personality, if that's the perception of him, this is not a good sign. I really hope that we can get past this. So I'm going to be the optimist in this. I'm saying that he's really showing out. This is really what's happening. And I, I'm, I'm riding this. I'm, I'm doubling down. Mitch Trubisky, we're having a comeback. Yeah, I'm, I'm riding this out, baby. Here we go. I had to turn a couple fans on because it just got hot in here. Who put the hot take oven yeah. on? And, and look, here's what I'll say. I'll, I'll play a little optimism Trubisky game with you two as well, where the stuff that I like the most about him in the first, you know, even that first half of the season and the first half of that 2018, and even at times in 2019, is that, you know, I think Jay Cutler was a super tough quarterback, but when Jay didn't have it, I felt like by the third and fourth quarter, we just did not have a chance. Almost like that he just was like, this is not my day, and I'm going to sort of tuck it in. And to Mitch's credit, he never, ever, ever does that. He could be, he could run 12 awful plays in a row and he can still put together a strong drive in a third and fourth quarter situation. And I actually believe that. I think that is a testament to his character. But I do also feel like if he doesn't get up and the sun isn't shining and the first five throws don't go his way, he can kind of get lost in himself confidence-wise for long stretches at times during games. It's funny. When you mentioned Cuddy, I just picture a super talented, very confident guy who also, for whatever reason, had a self-destruct button. At some point, he just went, he did the calculation in his mind and he was like, I don't think this game's going to work out. I'm going to go B on E. I'm going to go, I'm going to go B on E E network. It's yeah. Right. And the strangest aside about Cuddy real quick is like, I absolutely love him on that show. I actually feel like I like his sense of humor and I would be his friend, even though everything that he stands for on the football level, competitive wise, the way he would carry himself is just so anti me. Like I'm the arm around the shoulder guy. I'm the dude that always thinks that you can come back at any moment. I never try and point fingers when I'm competitive. I always try and be accountable. He is so the anti that, but I think I'd hang out with them. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. He seems, he seems like a good hang. Not the guy I want to lead my team, but a good hang nonetheless. Well, if you're kind of thinking where the, oh, you look over and you're like, oh, is Jay thinking about where he's having dinner tonight? God, we got 12 <laughs> minutes left in the fourth quarter. You kind of know you're in trouble, right? He didn't seem to have he didn't seem to have the quarterback's demeanor. You know? He didn't have that, hey, I'll lead you to victory. And I, I do appreciate that about taking it back. I do appreciate that about Mitch. Mitch, I believe, believes that he's gonna do it. He really does. He never gives up. He plays his heart out. There's just some fundamental stuff, some confidence stuff that just doesn't seem to click when we need it the most. So I, I do think you're right though, trying to get this thing back on track. Mitch is the kind of guy that you want to see him find his rhythm and you want to see him find it early in the game, build up his confidence, and the more confidence he has, the better he seems to play. So it's just really a matter of sometimes, and I think they noted they kind of noted that when they started doing the competitive 7-on-7 uh, seven seven period, they talked about making some easy throws and, and making you know the easy play early on and getting some confidence and, and kind of getting things in a rhythm, getting in that flow. That's what I think the Bears need to continue to try and do when we – start to get into these real game situations to build the confidence of a, of a Mitchell Trubisky and get this offense rolling in the right direction. Sort of looks like he's at least trying to make steps to get back to the, the quarterback who in 2018 was fantasy startable. Yeah. You know, we, we almost beat the Patriots that season and Mitch played well. And it came down to Kevin White at the one yard line 
to win the game. I mean, we're talking razor thin inches here between, you know, hero and villain with Trubisky. But I mean, we've seen him play well in games before. It can happen again. For sure. We've, and we've heard a lot about his off season and how he had to change up his routine. And he ended up staying here in Chicago and doing his training with the spear Academy and, and doing all these different stuff with the different training, trying to tighten up some of the, the motion and the mechanics and all these things. I think that's great. It's, it's great that we're seeing Mitch try and take the next step and get over the hump and get over the hurdle and get back to, you know, like you said, in 2018, he was never a top tier quarterback, but he wasn't, he wasn't hurting the bears by any means. He certainly was not hurting the bears. And so we just want to get back to that level and take the next step in the progression and just, you know, prove that we can be consistent and be healthy and, and have an offense that just, you know, is serviceable. Want to wrap it up with this. Matt Nagy told reporters the other day that he will not reveal his starting quarterback until the night before or the morning of the week one game, September 13th against the bears and lions. Cameron, I've been dying to ask you about this because I don't know how to feel about it. I think maybe it's smart on his part, you know, hold your cards close to your chest, keep that information to yourself. I get that part, but there's also a part of me that questions whether or not behind closed doors, there's more information being, you know, said, said to the team or at least in the room or at least to the offense or something. You know what I mean? Because as a player, as someone who has been through, you know, the, the process of trying to figure out an offense and, and establish an identity and get the ball rolling and get, you know, having a successful offense, I want to know who the guy is. I want to know who's call, calling the shots. I want to know who's going to be the leader of this team because you're the best quarterback in the NFL or the worst quarterback in the NFL. It is inherent to the position that you're going to be the leader of this football team. You may not be, you know, the overall leader. Maybe there's a defensive player, but this offense, it's just inherent. That's the way the position works. You're going to be a leader and you're going to be someone that really matters. And, you know, you might be the the leader of this team and you may not even be a, the starting quarterback. I just think that there's this dynamic that is very important and if you do all the things right, it's important that this team has that identity from the jump. I think that it could be a disservice to the offense to hold back this information and not know until the night before the game or the morning of their very first game who's going to be the guy. And, and you know, that's maybe they're doing that because there's not this big a difference and at some point we'll see both of them. I believe that's probably the case. But if I'm going into you know week one of an NFL season and I'm trying to have this bounce back here and I want to get the offense you know back up and running and I want to prove that this is a playoff caliber team, if I'm on that offense, I want to know, man, who am I blocking for? Who's the guy? Who do I turn to in that big moment? It's just it's too big of a question to just leave lingering out there. If it's gamesmanship, sure, you got to keep the specter of Trubisky's legs in the Detroit Lions mind. If you just said Nick Foles is the starter, all of a sudden they can sort of relax and the linebacker's eyes can go to different places. They don't have to account for Mitch possibly running. I totally understand that, but I am right with you there from a team perspective. Two thoughts on this. One, maybe Nagy thinks that Trubisky's got the job. He just doesn't want to hand it to him yet. He wants him to continue to earn it and build momentum and stay competitive for as long as he possibly can because a bad practice or two is Mitch Trub- as Mitch Trubisky's the unquestioned starter could perhaps derail all the work that they've done, perhaps. And then the other concept that I'm thinking about is here we go again with Matt Nagy doing something unconventional in the preseason 
And we're sort of crossing our fingers and hoping that he's right. In 2018, we're not going to play our guys in the preseason. It worked out. They came out ready to roll, won 12 games. The year next, we're not going to play our guys in the preseason. Not going to happen. Came out flat, did not play well, never recovered, struggled for the first five or six weeks. And I know that's not the exact same thing, but I just have the feeling of Nagy, again, going against the grain in this moment. And I'm right there with you, not just for the two guys and the one guy that's going to be throwing the football on Sunday, September 13th, but the teammates around them and the, and the rhythm and the camaraderie that, you know, maybe A-Rob has with Trubisky might be a little bit different than Foles. And you got to work through those mental reps, right, to get ready. You'd have to think that the team would at least know is, and they're going to try and keep it under wraps. That would be my hope. And this is all just posturing for the lions i i hope so too and you made a good point you know when you're talking about throwing the ball to a rob or whoever it may be having that on-field chemistry but the quarterback position it's more than just on-field chemistry it's it's the the guy i don't know how to fully emphasize enough what it means to be the guy to be the guy that everyone on that team looks to when you need a big play when you're in a big moment who do we trust that has our back that's going to get us out of the situation that's going to lead us to victory when our backs are against the wall and what you're what the way you're making it sound is like you haven't made that decision you know what i mean if you're going to hold that decision until two minutes before the game starts it sounds like it's a it, it maybe that's not the way he wants it to seem but it, it sounds like a lack of confidence in the guys we don't have a definitive winner yet I feel like it just it can be interpreted as a lack of confidence that's going to trickle down all the way through that offense. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we see some issues, some slow starts. You know, a lot of guys, a lot of teams might split reps between their, their ones and their two quarterback for a while, but eventually they make a decision. And going into that entire week leading up to that game, all of a sudden, number two's reps get cut back. They get dialed back. But if we really don't know, if we really truly – He's holding his cards to his chest. He's making his decision. He's evaluating all the way up until the day we play the Detroit Lions. You know, you're not getting the full extent of the reps. It's not ideal, Cameron. You know, typically NFL teams aren't dealing with this type of issue at this time. Again, makes you think and hope that he knows what he's doing. And I'm sure perhaps he is wrestling with the concept of he's given Trubisky all these chances. And yet I think deep down in his heart, I think Nagy feels most comfortable calling plays with Nick Foles throwing the football, but he can't give up on Trubisky. And unfortunately, Trubisky, to be fair, has not earned the trust of Nagy, perhaps to have that feeling inside of his heart, to be like, when I call a play or when I dial something up and when I take a chance, Matt Nagy, you're going to protect me, Trubisky, by making the right decision or making a strong throw and doing what you need to do. And obviously, that's a two-way street. And I do hope that uh, the intrepid Chicago reporters are able to snuff out the uh, the secret that everyone wants to know perhaps a couple days before uh, week one. Yeah, and hopefully they fill in the quarterback that won the job You know, prior to. Maybe it might be good for him to know, like, oh, you're reading a, an article by like Adam Hogue or Adam Johns or whatever. And it's like, Oh, I, I, I'm the quarterback. It's me. I, I, I didn't know. Honey, honey, come in here. <laughs> I'm in the newspaper and I'm a starter. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Who do I call first? <laughs> Damn. I think this is going to do it for another great episode on believe in bears. We got a lot coming you man. We're going to talk some fancy football. We're going to start previewing bears versus lions. I know that you're excited. Take us home on another great podcast. Yeah, thank you guys for checking out the Believe in Bears podcast. You can check out all of the awesome 
podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Make sure you drop a like, subscribe, and tune in to our next episode. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.